It was a huge night out, and uh, in my drunken stupor, I actually hit my groin on one of those chunky bollards. But as it turned out, it actually wasn't a bollard at all. I was sexually assaulted by Brad Drew. I know it might sound strange to say it, but if I had the choice between keeping Cameron Smith or Augusto Pinochet in power, I'd still lean with Pinochet. The trio would have to be Craig Gower, Jason Moody, and Sam Obst. Because I just can't see another three players fitting in musically with Craig McLaughlin and Check One Two. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast advocating for a new NRL team to be added based on the 80s sitcom Family Ties. The halfback would obviously be Michael J. Fox. I'd wager he'd be able to shake off a few tackles with gay abandon. (laughs) I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be chatting about the proposed changes to the Golden Point rule, Valentine Holmes returning to the Cowboys, and a possible return for the semi-trailer to Souths. But first, I am joined in the studio by the only man in Australia who felt Prince Andrew's Newsnight interview went rather swimmingly. Of course, that staunch royalist I refer to is Xander Risotto. Welcome to the show, Xander. Thanks, Eamon. Why are you so pro-monarchy? Yeah, I think anyone who's seen my, my uh, social media uh, perspective on this knows that I'm anything but a royalist at this point. So I've got this horribly wrong, have I? Yeah, yeah a little, I, just, just a tiny bit off base. Oh, uh, okay. I do tend to not I, get my facts straight. I heard that um, the, the royal family uh, insiders were suggesting that they should have just you know shuffled off Andrew to Australia so they could keep him out of sight and out of mind. Well, I think that's what they'll be doing from here on in, but I think Australia might be too luxurious. Great, great case for a republic, isn't it? The thing I loved about that interview, and I know this is a rugby league podcast and has absolutely nothing to do with the show whatsoever, uh, but I love the fact that he didn't just lie. Uh, he went for like nine lies at once. Um, there was a particular moment in there where there's a clear photo of him with one of his accusers and he's got his arm around her midriff. Um, and he sort of, he goes, how do you explain this photo, Andrew? And he's like, well, I mean, um, that's definitely me, but um, I mean, I've never met her, um, but I mean, I could have seen her back then, but I don't know who she is, and that's not my hand. My hand's much chubbier. I think it's a doctored photo of my face and not my <laughs> kneecap. Like, it just went on and on and on, and um, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I think I remember the, the part you're talking about, though, like, you know, what I've been told is that, you know, uh, you, know, you couldn't categorically say that it was a true photo, yeah. <laughs> which is which is not a great defence. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. I may not necessarily be a pedophile, uh, but look, we will get into the show, Xander, and uh, we need to start off with a very pressing topic. It's been leaked out uh, that the NRL might be considering some changes to the Golden Point Rule. Uh, there are some murmurs going on. Uh, one, Danny Wildler, has been very vocal about this. He says that there might be a change to the system so that losing teams in a golden point game don't go home empty-handed. What do you suspect the most likely change to the point system will be, Xander? The system that's been proposed and has been bouncing around on social media, uh, thanks to the likes of Dan Ganane and a few others, um, yep. is... Uh, Which is a bastion of truth. <laughs> Triple M, you know, incredible source of uh, facts and, and unbiased commentary. It was to give... Uh, three points for a golden point win, uh, and then two points for regulation win, and one point for a golden point loss, which yeah. would be giving a golden point loss the same amount as a draw. It uh, doesn't really make... I mean, I understand this is apparently how they do it in the NHL and a few other competitions around the world, but it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. 
I mean, was this an issue for people? For me, I didn't really think it was a major issue. Um, you know, Golden Point, like everyone, it's been in for a little while now and everyone kind of understands that, yeah, it's it's tough. Rugby League's really tough. Mm. It's really tough to get the two points and it's heart-wrenching when you, you, know, you don't get it at the end of 90 minutes. Mm. But it's kind of just the way it plays and, you know, eventually it all comes around, doesn't it? Yeah, I, it, I, it, for me, it really came from left field. I didn't really see a need. I mean, I'd heard... You know, it discussed during the season that um, it's a bit rough on teams who don't get anything out of that game. But to give a side a bonus point for winning a golden point game just just struck me as a bit of an odd decision or or an odd perspective to to come at it from. And we we'd kind of you know seen a few other ideas bouncing around back and forth as well, and it made more sense to me. You know, to if you're going to try and address that, is to to shift to a four point for a standard win, and you know two points for a draw, and then maybe one point for a golden point loss. I'm just wondering if this is just, I don't know, the NRL embracing uh, the woke culture just a little bit too much, Xander. Uh, you mentioned before, it just seems a bit rough on teams. And I'm like, well, that, that kind of is the nature of losing, isn't it? It's rough. Uh, people lose in 80 minutes in horrible fashion. Sometimes a try scored in the last minute mm. doesn't feel like they deserve to lose the match, but it just happens and that's footy. Yeah, no, I think it's a perfectly valid point. I, I don't think there was really any great outcry for, for something like this. Maybe it's just one of those things. Somebody floated the idea that they were just putting something controversial out to make sure they stayed top of mind for people. <laughs> um, which, it's all the PR. Which okay. I, I can see, you know, but just seems like a bit of an odd 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 way to solve a problem that didn't really exist you know that is the nrl's thing you know what i mean so uh it's probably not too surprising in fact from what i understand the nrl is uh has four potential rule changes in place and they've locked it in the inverted commas vault and in fact they've threatened to fire anyone who leaks it to the media uh, so i'm not sure if they've already claimed a scalp or not because everyone knows about the golden point thing but yeah apparently yeah, there right. are four different well, rule changes are we in need of four rule changes Depends. I like the game. Like, can we just leave it alone? I mean, you know, you can always you can always add an extra uh, element. I wouldn't. It'd, I'd be keen to hear what those rule changes are. I mean, if it, if they were to add in, say, the twenty forty, I'd be comfortable with that. I like that idea of, of giving a team yeah. in a um, you know who've been hammered on their defensive line the opportunity to to suddenly get an attacking set mm. um, just you know through good tactical and, and, and gutsy play, you know. I, I yeah, I think there's some merit in that. I don't, I don't mind that. You know, I mean, I'd have to hear them first. But I did I did see on, on, on some of the sort of channels on social media people talking about a way to address the, the uh, uh, draw problem by changing the point structure. And we've kind of had a bit of back and forth on that and moving to a, an NFL-style one-point conversion. Yeah, look, we're gonna we will dig into that when it, we've got a few responses uh, regarding this topic on social. But I mean, just to go back to what you're saying about rule changes, I did see one leak out on social before, and apparently the NRL are thinking about um, having the away team have to play Laurie Oaks at halfback, uh, which I think is a great idea um, because obviously uh, you know it's going to severely handicap one team. And who knows which I, one? Well, I think the one uh, with I've never Oaks seen. On it. I've seen never seen Laurie play. I mean, you know, you never know. Maybe he's a gun halfback. How good you would just it, don't know. How good would it be if it turns out he has a great turn of speed? <laughs> just, just got an incredible sidestep on him. It just, you yeah, know. his whole body wobbles as he goes. It all it goes like the wind. Imagine trying to tackle him. I really just be really bloody no, hard thanks. work. I'd imagine to be moist and sweaty. <laughs> That's the way I visualise Laurie Oaks. Not that I'm visualising him often. Now I'm going to move on to some social media suggestions here, Zan. Now, uh, this did get a fair bit of engagement. Uh, this is from Giannis, who said, how about we incorporate the salary cap into the point system so a team over the cap gets three points for a win 
and a team under the cap gets four. That way, some clubs will win by good players and it will be completely different to the current arrangement. Now, that seems very out of the box, doesn't it, Xander? So basically, instead of having the NRL strip competition points for breaching the salary cap, you just allow teams to breach it and then just give them less points for winning. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a very creative solution. Um, now, we have another one here from The Real Heindel, who says, I prefer three points for each match. You get a point for winning the first half, a point for winning the second half, I saw this. and a point for winning the match. So how many times do you see a team down by 20 at half time? Match is over. A point for each half gives incentive to fight back, says the real Heindel. What do you think about that? I mean, I think the point of the game is to, to be ahead at the 80-minute mark. So I, I yeah. don't know. I, I can kind of see his thinking. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the way they've structured the, the, the point system in Super Rugby where you get mm. it's four points for a win, uh, you know, one point for losing within seven points and a you know, bonus point if you're the winner for winning ahead by three tries. So the incentive structure idea there is, you know, you... You don't want teams to give up yep. um, to keep fighting, not just for a chance to win, but at least to be within seven. And you also don't want teams to just put their foot off the gas as well if they're comfortably ahead. Here's my thing. Surely pride does that, mm. doesn't it? I mean, if your team's just giving up in the last 20 minutes, I think your fans and the media are going to give it to you anyway. Surely that's enough of an incentive. Well, you'd think so, but, you know, I mean... It, Sports, professional sports and incentives are funny things, right? You know, so the AFLs had the criticism that the draft system incentivizes teams to tank it if they, they yeah, that's right. Make well, that's a legitimate can. concern. I understand yeah. that because they're thinking long-term strategy. See, there's hmm. there's a strategy of benefit there. I feel like if you're just giving up in the last twenty minutes under the current system, you're hmm. going to cop a shellacking from the public. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I mean, you're right. That's a, that's a, a, a larger structural thing, and this is this is more sort of internal to each game. But hmm. I, I don't know. I've, I, I don't, it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really sit well with me. The idea of, of awarding, I think it makes the entire competition ladder really messy. Yeah, frankly. true. Yeah, um, you know, and it means that you could have teams who are, like, what, what happens if you've got two teams who are locked up at halftime and then locked up at full time, and then uh, have to win in, in golden point time? So they would technically get one point for the win. Right. Have we turned this whole competition into sort of a year nine mathematics class? Yeah, well, it just feels it. like I shouldn't yeah. be having to do this kind of arithmetic when I'm trying to enjoy myself watching my footy. Yeah, and you know, you don't want to end up with a with a situation like you did with the the cricket World Cup, where basically you had the umpire stuffing up a few obscure rules here and there, and effectively awarding a World Cup to a team that didn't actually win it because yeah, they had too many obscure you know, rules around how you get points. It's ridiculous. Uh, we've got another one here from Big Jim 618 He says, I must be a complete dinosaur. I'm happy with the draw. Um, what about that? Do, is, he, is there too much discussion about what the golden point situation should be and should we just scrub it all together and have a draw? Maybe. I mean, I, I get what, you know, I get what the, the point of golden point is that you, know, you want it to be... Um, you don't want to have too many games where fans are effectively leaving uh, with that with that incredibly unsatisfying feeling you have when you get a draw, right? Yeah. But I think I think the solution to it is you know you you want to give uh, teams a chance to to close out the game, but maybe golden points just the wrong model. And people talk about golden try. I actually think golden try is also not the right model. Okay. I think. What's your criticism of golden try? Well, I mean, I I think that you could just end up seeing teams kind of play too long, um, you know, and, and it gets a bit sloppy and a bit messy. Mm. Whereas there is something structured about the way a team goes about setting up for a drop goal. It means that the play, the play doesn't descend into a kind of fast. And I think at the eight, that, that, that has a risk of happening if you're just mm. trying to get 
teams to start playing Harlem Globetrotter like style <laughs> play. My my solution, I think, frankly, and and you know, this has been suggested a number of times, is just make it. 10 minutes of extra time and then if it ends at a draw after that then yep. it's a draw I mean you that's just... certainly a legitimate suggestion as well I will just say just to counter your view there about structure versus the farce um, it seems to be a prevailing view from what I can tell that obviously that people don't like the game as structured as it is and they actually yeah. quite liked the unstructured environment at times I mean the weird byproduct of all this sin binning that went on last season was that at times you were actually looking at teams playing you know 12 on 11 and things like that which mm. has never happened well hasn't happened in a long time and you had a lot of this unstructured throw the fall, ball around footy which was actually quite good to watch yeah no I, I can see the point I think I think you end up getting teams adapting to that pretty quickly anyway, though. Um, yeah. You know, you, you change the nature of the game by removing the number of players. They'll they'll work out a way to, to counter that pretty quickly. Yeah. I've got another one here, mate, and I, I think it speaks volumes. Um, this is from Hunter Austin, who says, Every cell in my body throws up at the suggestion of getting points for losing a game. We aren't AFL. You don't get points for missing. <laughs> um, I don't know why I said it with that kind of weird assertive tone, but I felt like it needed a bit of extra venom on it. I think that was implicit in the tweet by the sounds of it. <laughs> it was a little bit. Um, Any comparisons to AFL gets me riled up as well. It's not uncommon is, the, I think, the fundamental point. You know, teams get points for losing all the time, right? I mean, I think they, you know, like soccer is an exercise in giving teams points for not succeeding. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't want to be that, do we? No. We feel like we want to be the model where it is a bit of a zero-sum game. It's all or nothing, mm. and that's part of the majesty of the sport. Um, now, this is the bit. This comes from Mark Barrett. Now, he's claimed uh, via Twitter that if we change the point system to uh, having odds and evens, that it would lower the chance of them being a full-time draw. Therefore, we wouldn't have the need so much for a golden point situation. Uh, just so I'm not misquoting Mark, he said, nobody seems to be talking about conversions. Just change them to one point, and there'll be a lot less draws. How many times have we seen a team with the best kicker win games? Kicking or missing conversions will result in odd and even numbers on the scoreboard before 80 minutes. Um, now, in my head, I was like, I thought I had to think about that tweet. And I went, but wouldn't we still see just as many draws, but on odd number amounts? Or would it genuinely mitigate the chance of a draw? Now, yeah, I mean, neither of us are pure mathematics PhDs. <laughs> no. um, my wife tells me I'm completely wrong. But my, my, my instinct on this is that it is really just a question of basic p probability. And I think I, I put this up was that, you know, there, there are more ways to get to 20 um, under the current point system than there would be uh, where the uh, try was, say, worth one, uh, five points and the, the conversion was worth one and then you have two points for a, a penalty kick, for yeah. example. You, you've got really, you know... Just more op uh, opportunities for there to be odd-numbered um, score lines than you currently do. Where really only the only chance that you can get for an odd number of score line is if if one team goes for a drop goal. Yeah, and that you know at least theoretically, as far as I can see, just means that there's a lower probability of ending up on the exact same score line. Look, I, I I'm willing to concede, Xander. I'm probably completely wrong on this, so I'm going to defer this to the uh, the better judgment of others. Um, but just for me, I think we we're sort of overcomplicating things, and I have my own theory to finish off this segment on how we can just simplify <laughs> this because uh, it all seems a bit too complicated. I say if the teams are locked up after 90 minutes of footy. The two captains have to play rock, scissors, paper in a best-of-eight-match series played over several hours. However, only half of the competition points are issued if the winner takes it out by using scissors the most, uh, because we obviously have a social responsibility not to promote weapons. Then if we're still locked up, uh, we do a countback system using how the teams form in round 11 2009. 
we divide the total game score of that round and use them as a currency in a new kind of synthetic betting market. Then whichever captain manages to invest his or her shares in the best virtual stocks over a five-week period, uh, provided none are junk bonds because they're not allowed, um, they're finally awarded the win. Now, I can't think of a simpler or fairer way of doing it than that. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Xander, Valentine Holmes, he's back. He's back for the Cowboys, it's official. For six years, no less, right? I hear, yeah. The man who officially abandoned the Sharks and enraged Paul Gallen only a few years ago. Now, he's finished his NFL pipe dream and he's ready to play for North Queensland next year on, quite rightly, a six-year, multi-million dollar deal. My question to you, Xander, is can he turn things around for the Cows, who, it must be said, have had a few dismal seasons in a row? Well, I mean, he's, he's not going to hurt their chances. He's pretty pretty electric player at his, at his peak. Yep. I mean, it'd just be interesting to see how he, he, how he comes back into the game after, you know, a year away in New York training for the NFL. Mm. It um, didn't work for Hayne so well, did no, it? No, it, it didn't, right? I mean, Hayne, Hayne had a bit longer. He did actually, you know, play a season. Mm. Although um, he kept up his assaults, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I, think that, I think Holmes is probably going to uh, stand a better chance of, of getting back to full form than Hayne did. I think yeah. Hayne... Off-field issues aside, um, just struggled to, to to reintegrate into the NRL properly. Yeah, he did. And, you know, he, he struggled just, to reintegrate into society, <laughs> into, he? into polite society, in any case. Um, but yeah, um, no, I, I agree with you, mate. He's a, obviously a very talented player, Valentine Holmes, um, and I think. The other thing is he also has plenty more years ahead of him than I think Hayne had when he yeah, came back. Yeah, Hayne did a lot older. Yeah, he came back sort of in the in the twilight years, mm. uh, whereas I think Holmes has a fair few years ahead of him. Um, I, I think for the Cowboys, obviously their whole last season got derailed by the Ben Barber incident. I think a lot of their money was allocated. He was the linchpin there, and mm. then they hoped down the track. I think they had long-term plans of getting Holmes. Um, so last year was a bit of a write-off for them. I don't think one man will turn this around, frankly. But um, the other little thing that probably um, scares me a little bit is he's also going to be back for Queensland. Yeah, it's a bit of a worry. Mind mm. you, I mean, you know, Holmes still not as an electric a player as, say, a Tedesco. I, I think that even with Holmes, that New South Wales back line is scary at the moment. I know, but I much prefer just running around Dale Copley. <laughs> um, I feel like running around Val Holmes might be a little bit more difficult. Big shout-out to Big Dale, uh, wherever he is. He's not playing footy, obviously. Um, but we also asked our listeners, will Valentine Holmes make the Cowboys a finals force again? And we had quite a few responses. 80% said no. So I'm not sure if that's so much a rip on Val Holmes or more about the state of affairs in North Queensland. There are a lot of murmurs there that uh, Paul Green is not getting on well with his players. Uh, I think that Val Holmes might have a lot to contend with. I mean, I think Paul Green's had a, had a few troubles in a few places he's been to, hasn't he? he I tends... think the big rift is between yeah. him and Michael Morgan in particular. All oh, right, interesting. Yeah. So I think that, I don't know, I don't think he's going to be able to turn everything around, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing him play again. As you said, in terms of integrating back into the game, though, hmm. is there a chance that Val Holmes might be bringing some of his NFL habits with him? Will, for example, will he be compelled to sort of call random timeouts during the game? or I mean, we don't want to see that happen. Maybe he'll wear his helmet as well, just run headfirst into players. Would they allow him to do that? I mean, because I'd be supportive of it. <laughs> Jess Val Holmes, no one else is allowed to do it. As long as it's not during Origin. It's yeah, <laughs> it's just a tribute to Phil Hughes. Oh, yeah. Xander, semi-rudge-rajra. Say that three times fast. <laughs> 
No. Yeah, no, neither. Um, it's actually very difficult, especially when you're off your tits, to do that. But um, big news. It's not been confirmed yet, but it seems as though Big Semi, um, he's homesick, he's in France, he's playing rugby union, doesn't want to play it anymore, um, and has expressed an interest to come back to the NRL at a big financial sacrifice. And it seems that South Sydney are leading the charge to land his signature. Xander, what will Semi bring to the NRL that's been missing since his absence? Just injuries? Probably, I'd imagine. Well, I mean, you know, to be to be completely frank, um, ever since Mike Acevo came on board, I don't think that the NRLs actually missed too much of what uh, Semi brings because Mike has brought it in spades, right? I mean, he got top try scorer of the year, and he was an absolute. What is he? He can he can squat something like three hundred and fifty kilograms or some insane amount. Oh yeah, he's a pocket like, rocket. Like, I mean, Sevo, if anything, is probably arguably more devastating than even Raj Raja was at his height. Like he was incredible. I think there's think. an argument for that. He's certainly yeah. crossing the stripe more often. Yeah, um, and and he's just he's just raw power is something to behold. I'd love, so there'll be sh- more of that, basically. In a way, it's a shame. Yeah, nice. In a sh- in a way, it's a shame because it would be nice if you went back to the Eels and you had Sevo and Raj Rajra on each wing. <laughs> These like Fijian powerhouses. That'd be mental. <coughs> Sorry. I actually, it's a shame. You know, I, I would love to see that. It'd just be be incredible having him reunited with with um, uh, the Eels and having Sevo uh, on the other wing. That, that would just be a devastating backline, oh, wouldn't it? What? And I know that one thing, the Parramatta, as you said, Sevo, and you're rightly so, uh, has given them a huge amount of sting in the tail last season. Uh, but I guess Raj Raj has been gone for a couple of seasons, and I know the one thing that they really missed when he left, and I think people undervalued it, was the was the kick returns. Um, and I know he used to be able to set up a set better than anyone in the competition. And I feel like the Eels two years ago really suffered from not having that platform. But this year, since Fergo's gone there as well, yeah. who's also, that's probably his pet play. It's his specialty. Um, they've actually, you know, been very strong there. So they probably didn't need Sammy back mm. just because they were so well serviced in those areas. South Sydney, though, um, I mean, he'd be devastating over there for them. Do you reckon Wayne Bennett will want someone like Semi playing for him? I think Wayne generally prefers less skillful players, doesn't he? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Because he's coached over the last few years. Uh, If I'm going to quote you here from a few episodes back, uh, it was just hold the ball and kick. That's his (laughs) 35-year career. Uh, But honestly, as a rugby league fan, I'd be very happy to see him back. I used to love watching the Semi trailer plough into the the defensive line on those kick returns. Can we pick him in origin? (laughs) He comes back. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question, you know, because can, he's played for Australia. He has. I remember there being a discussion about whether he'd be eligible for New South Wales. But there's some technicality there that mm. meant that he couldn't get picked, which is a bit weird um, if you can get picked for Australia but not for New South Wales. I think that in the last couple of years we've seen that we probably prefer players to play for their countries of origin anyway, mm. don't we? So You've got, you got Turbo and Fergo at the do moment. Can they do a funny Blues. double act? Turbo and Fergo? Do you reckon they go from pub to pub? I think they're different types of characters somehow. Uh, that, that Sometimes the odd couple blends the best. Maybe Turbo could just pull ping pong balls out of Fergo's ass, And then someone lights something on fire. You know, I've got to say, Fergo had a terrible reputation for a while, right? But I think he, I mean, he, he strikes me as somebody who's probably gone almost teetotaler in the other direction. He's, mm. His form has been incredible for a few years now. It has. He's actually got off the booze and it just showed you how good he was, yeah. actually. Because he was playing drunk most of the time. <laughs> and he's I still mean, walking over guys, right? Exactly. And everyone just dropping was, the ball afterwards. What's with that brain explosion? Yeah. Well, that's because he's on smack. Um, and that's the reason he did that. Uh, but since he's got rid of the drugs, God, he's good now. He's very good. Um, now, look, obviously we're Roosters fans. We don't want to see good players go to Souths. Uh, so if we could choose any other club, where would you like to see him? Yeah, like I said, I'd, like, I'd love to see him play fullback for, um, for the Eels. Okay, and what would you do with poor old Clint Gutherson? 
bench him probably. <laughs> <laughs> but you imagine how how powerful that that back three that would back be? three would be amazing. Pogo, Maiko, and Raj Raja, that'd just be insane. <laughs> hey, captain, get over here. You're benched. <laughs> Who said that? Xander. He's not affiliated with this club, but he said you're benched. Now he's willing to take a pay cut as well, um, like so. a one point two million dollar pay cut. I know. So he must really fucking yeah. hate France. I mean, I know the French can be a little bit much, but mm. Jesus, maybe he just hates blue cheese. I mean, I don't want. I, I hate being around blue cheese myself. It's smelly. It's stinky. Who eats fungus? I'd rather lick the underneath of my toenails. Um, so potentially that that's you the do reason. I can't really regularly. Yeah, look, <laughs> when I said rather, um, I should say I quite enjoy doing that um, because what it does, it gets my calisthenics going, my yoga, and I'm doing something functional uh, for my body at the same time. Probably good for the gut bacteria as well. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah. It's it's high in protein, Pro- probiotic. Exactly. I don't need your cult. I just need my toenail lint. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. And now, uh, New York City, following the path created by the Toronto Wolfpack, a rugby league team in New York City, Xander, will be established in 2021. Now, we know the USA national team, who I believe might be called the Hawks, uh, they're not faring too well at the moment. So my question to you is, will having, uh, having a dedicated New York City team benefit the North American comp? Well, you know, you'd, you'd think so because it would raise the profile. I mean, theoretically, right, it would raise the profile of the code in, in North America. Um, you know they they're going to approach it differently uh, from from the reporting we've seen. Uh, mm. They're not going to follow the the Toronto model and and just basically look to to pillage the Super League and the NRL. They're going to try and have a, a strong local uh, development angle to it, the same way that Dublin appear to be approaching it again, but probably a little yep. bit less high profile. Um, and so that would then legitimately may, uh, create a professional pathway to the current North American rugby league competition. Mm. Um, so it means that it gives them all something more to play for, right? Like they're playing for, they, they become like a feeder comp for that team. They have aspirations in playing in the English Super League, don't they? They do, but like, but it, it means they don't have to, you know, they can play in New York, you know I mean? Yeah. I think it, I think it changes it, you know, in that you, they will they will effectively act as a, as a feeder competition in the way that, you know, the Super League, they have their own development pathways where yeah. this would be a, a clear development pathway for people in North America. Do you think, I noticed their CEO came out, I think he's the director, Tom Fesey. I don't know if that's too close to Fesey's for me. Um, but he said, as you as you pointed out, that they're going to put a cap on imports. Do you mm. think that's a good idea? Because I would imagine maybe just to get the ball rolling, they might want to have a few more, like, high, I don't know, even it was half and half, just to to get the attraction and get the product up and running? Or, or do you think that's a good idea? What was the actual um, cap? Um, I think it was five. I think in the squad, he's, it's a cap of five. Yeah, right. Okay, so they're going for about, you know, approximately a quarter of your squad. Yeah, which is still a fair proportion. Which is, you know, you, you can build a competitive team around that. You know, I mean, you'll have... It, it's basically, um, you know, a bit more than your spine, right? So mm. if, you, if you can you can build a really good professional spine and, you know, a couple of um, uh, solid forwards to then develop that off, then I think you actually have a good core of professional and developing players. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be keen to hear how it goes. I think it's, it's just a smart approach. And apparently they're following the, the Melbourne Storm, which you know, yeah, we've got mixed feelings about. But. That's right. They've apparently visited the Melbourne Storm to uh, take, some, take some pointers, basically, away from their model. They're, they are a very well-respected club, in, especially in terms of the way it's run. Um, will they be adopting everything? to do with the club and the way it runs? Because I think I pointed this out to you before. Does that mean they're going to have to have a grubby cheater's captain? I think they're, they're picking and choosing um, <laughs> what they're taking from the Melbourne Storm. Here that they're also going to you know, avoid the, the cheating aspect of their particular 
business model or they have a particularly intense coach. You know, on Cameron Smith, that's interesting because that could be his post-NRL retirement exit strategy. He could go play for New York City on a bit of coin. Yeah, well, you know, it, he very well could. It'd be interesting to see if that's where he ended up. I mean, if, if you're, you're a, a senior NRL player in your sort of twilight years of your career and you have the opportunity to go and get paid... In New York, In too. New York, like a million bucks a year to, to just play a couple of years... Uh, at the lower grades of the English competition. What a retirement plan. Yeah. Uh, sorry, no offence, but a fair bit better than Tripoli. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, going or, to New York City. Or Bali. I, I found this an interesting quote from the director of the club too, Xander. He said, um, under our contract agreement, we're only allowed to have five imports, as we said, but we can have as many Americans, Canadians and Jamaicans as we like. Why Jamaicans? Um, yeah, it's a good question, actually. I, I, Am I, I missing something there? Like, it just seemed really random. Jamaican me crazy. <laughs> so basically, we're both drawing a blank here. Yeah, I, I thought I, this might no have idea. been some inferred yeah. knowledge that I was missing, but um, it just seemed like he threw that in there for good measure. I wonder what I want. I'm really curious now. I just want to Google it, see if there is there's any rugby league or rugby link to Jamaica. All right, this is live radio, folks. <laughs> they made their international debut uh, against the US in Florida. So there you go. Maybe they have a, a long-standing relationship with the with the existing US professional uh, competition. Probably should have done that research before we brought this oh, up. Actually, mate, this is not what this show's about. Um, but I, I actually just brought that up as a bit of a thought-provoking point because I thought I wonder if our listeners yeah. might be able to contribute to that as well. Maybe they know the story behind the scenes there in greater detail. But um, I mean, Jamaicans. What are they generally famous for in terms of their athletics? Obviously, sprinting. We know about uh, basketball. Uh, and bobsledding, I think, is the extent of my knowledge. They're very good at um, recruiting John Candy. Oh, yeah. Now, Xander, as you know, uh, on the show, uh, we like to break new ground. We consider ourselves to be mental giants. Um, we're sort of up there with your Einsteins and your Edisons. And uh, I thought in line with that, we should have a new segment, and it's called Eamon's Thought Bubble. I thought it would be a really good idea if the NRL uh, made it mandatory for NRL clubs to publish salaries of their players uh, for the purpose of being, obviously, would get a lot of that kind of weird salary cap wrought cheat stuff away because there's a lot of more transparency mm. around it. And it also might be a good talking point for the fans. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a fair point. I, I can see there being objections to it as well, though. I mean, you know, how from, dare you? From from a player standpoint, I, I I can see them getting a bit upset. I mean, if you're a if you're a successful but maybe like slightly lower profile rugby league player, and all of a sudden your salary is being um, published, uh, you know, publicly for the first time. I mean, going to restaurants and things might be a bit tricky. You might have you know, effectively pressure everywhere you go to be tipping a little bit more than you used to. I mean, it just could make things a bit awkward. You're right. It could be socially awkward, yeah. but it could also go the other way. So if you had players that you go, oh, really? Nat Butch is on 65000 a year? And you end up laughing at him. Um, so he might find the opposite. You know, you go, wow, you're on minimum wage, Nat. I'm sorry to hear that because you're actually quite good. That That is true. And, you know, maybe maybe there are angles for that. You know, you get the pity play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually think it might be, uh, it might actually have an effect on performance too, Xander, because if you had a player out there of a high profile that, it, that their numbers aren't exactly out there on record, and you go, well, so they're actually getting $800,000 a year, and yet they haven't done anything in three years, maybe that might spur them into action if they know the entire country knows what they're earning. It's... It didn't work for Bryce Cartwright, <laughs> but I mean, everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it'd be an interesting social experiment to run, right? I mean, there actually are, I think, ideas about the effect that uh, transparency on, on salaries has. 
Mm. Um, so, yeah, I can see some value in it. And what about even clubs, right? So clubs at the moment, I mean, you get the you know the bulldogs of a few years ago where they just go on these buying sprees, yeah, and they're not really held to account for it until years later when everyone goes, oh, you fucked the cap, yeah, that yeah. was bad. Yeah. Um, where I think this might be a disincentive; they might actually think about their purchases a little bit more. You're right; it actually might lead to some clearer thinking from clubs around, uh, I guess, their own accounting. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the you're only... going to have fans who come out on Twitter and, and social media and, and probably start pointing out that Jesus, that doesn't add up exactly yeah. and i think that's actually good for the game to have that nrl fan engagement yeah us yeah. everyone talking about everyone's wages and those kind of things the only drawback of, i can see is that the roosters might finally get caught <laughs> now uh we're forward focused uh xander we're looking at the 2020 season and uh, every episode we're going to make it our mission to talk about one team's performance in 2020 and how we think they're going to go. And we're going to start from the bottom of the ladder and move our way up to the top, uh, which means we're talking about the Gold Coast Titans today. I'm going to throw this out to you straight away. What do you think their prospects are going to be next year? They've got a new coach, uh, largely the same playing roster. Do you think he's going to be enough, Justin Holbrook, to come in and change things up? Or has he come from uh, coaching St. Helens to a Super League title, which is... Obviously, it's a, it's a sign that he you know knows how to coach. But mm. coaching in the Super League and coaching in the NRL, you know, he's he's taken a, a powerhouse club in St Helens, who you know one of the sort of four clubs that always win it over there, and then he's going to have to come to the Gold Coast, where frankly the standards and systems in place are probably a little bit. It's a little bit different. Uh, yeah, a little on the bit Gold different. Um, so he's an NRL untested coach in yeah, that sense. Yeah. But as you said, he's had stupendous success over in the Super League. Doesn't always translate though, does it? You know, I he mean, doesn't. No. It, 80% I heard the win ratio was for him yeah. over there. The the week in week out grind of the NRL where it's, you know, I think it's a lot more competitive across the board. Mm. Uh, it just isn't there in the Super League. So they, they have a lot more games where they just can kind of coast. So I, I would worry about a new coach coming into what appears to be a problematic culture. Mm. I think that's been one of the major criticisms of the Titans and largely the same roster from last year. And it was a diabolical season. One man surely can't change that much so soon. If you had the power of doing a big clean out, a big recruitment straight away, which he doesn't, maybe from next year, I think they have a number of players coming off contract at the end of next year. So he has to weather the storm for at least one season. And at the Titans, that doesn't mm. usually, usually are knifed by then. You don't normally see a season out. Um, so I actually, we put this out to our Twitter listeners again, and we said, how will the Gold Coast Titans fare next year? 43% said they'll go the same as 2019. 7% said they'll go worse than 2019, even if that's at all possible. 42% said slightly better, and only 9% said there would be a huge improvement. So there's not a lot of optimism out there from the punters uh, with regard to the Gold Coast Titans for next year. Do you think that's uh, pretty accurate? Yeah, it's, it's it'll take a while. You know, if Holbrook's really, you know, is a genuinely great coach, it, it'll still take him more than a, a season to really get a lot out of that, you know, mm. to, to, to make it his team, if you know what I mean. Totally. Um, I, I expect him to, to make a slight improvement. You'd, you'd hope so. I mean, the, the troubling sign for them, as you say, is from a cultural standpoint, when they, when they dumped the coach this year... Um, their performances got worse. Usually when a team loses a coach, it's, um, the, the, the side tends to respond by thinking, well, we no longer have the coaches a, um, you know, as our fall guy for poor performances. So yep. they, they lift in the weeks after because they know it's all on them now. They, it got worse. It got much worse. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's a worry. Um, Although but, I did enjoy that game at the cricket ground <laughs> from the Roosters. So when, did I. Yeah, when I've never seen it. We notched up a ton. I mean, I felt <laughs> a was, bit it was like the Roosters were Steve Smith it for was, a moment. It was a... 
I, I literally was I was at the game and I was going to get bathroom breaks, you know, just uh, here and there. And every time I left, we'd score a try. So. Or a couple, <laughs> yeah, I'd or imagine. A, or a couple. Depends if you piss like Seabiscuit or not. Um, you'd probably go for two tries in that time. I know my stream's very firm, so I probably would have missed a lot. Um, at one point, it was a bit like a cricket game because uh, one of our players hit Michael Gordon so hard, he went to the boundary, um, which was actually quite funny. Which is, you know, Michael Gordon... Great player, actually. Like you know, I love, I love the Flash. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they don't have a terrible roster. It's it's one of the sort of bizarre things about the the place. So, I think they've just got a number of players stale and and they're tired and they're not putting in. Um, obviously, Big Flash is retired at the end of last year, so he won't be there. Um, they have got a bit of talent, Mm. but obviously, are probably typified by Ash Taylor, who who just has been horrific for a couple of seasons in a row now and everyone thought he might be the next Cooper Cronk, you know. He's a classic example of a player that um, a side showed a lot of potential and a side tried to, to lock in too early with too much security, probably needed to keep him hungrier. Yeah, although it is on the Gold Coast, so he's probably just doing coke off someone's tits, you know, and that distracts you from good performance. You'd think actually it might be performance enhancing in, in some circles. <laughs> I hear bankers say it's it's very performance enhancing. I have signalled out this year that defence is going to be a huge area for them of focus, which is why they've recruited Jim Dimmick um, to be a part of their or to, to actually head up for their defensive structures. Um, this was an interesting bit of news though that broke today, Xander, regarding Mal Meninga. He said the club's potentially looking to sign Latrell Mitchell because they need a quote big signing up there to help turn things around. Do they, though? I thought that was the style of thinking that actually got them into trouble. They've been trying to do that for 10 years when actually what they need is genuine cultural change. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think another big name is not going to change it. Um, Especially Latrell. That would be the sum of all fears, wouldn't it? The guy who needs extra motivation to go to the club where no one seems motivated? Yeah, it strikes me as a dangerous combination. I did, did, um, you know, the reports in in the um, uh, some of the papers were that Trent Robinson was spending as much time working on on getting Latrell Mitchell right motivation-wise than mm. he was for the rest of the team. So he was putting a lot of work in behind the scenes to make yep. sure he had him up. Um, you know, whether or not that's what true. What would that take the form of? Do you know the inside word there? I don't know. It was, it was one of the, it was. I think I read it in the, the Herald uh, mm. a couple of weeks back. But if that's the case, um, then that's that's a problem if he's going to go to to a side like the Titans. I mean, that said, I mean maybe Holbrook is is that good that he could do that. Yeah, this is no slight on him, but geez, he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. Like if you're going to be, um, if you're a betting man, you'd say he's going to struggle in 2020. Yeah, I mean... But he, I'd say the team's going to struggle in it's 2020. A, it's, it's the the classic fixer-upper, isn't it? You know, like <laughs> yes, yeah. he's, he's picked himself a, a very challenging place to go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what's the metaphorical equivalent? It's sort of a, an outhouse, isn't it? If, <laughs> if the Roosters are a palace, the yeah. Gold Coast Titans are at one of those tin sheds where there's a weird redback spider about to mm. bite you on the anus when you go to take a shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that wraps up another episode of The Voluntary Tackle. Uh, we thank you very much for your company and continuing to support the greatest game of all, Rugby League. Please follow us on Twitter at Voluntary Tackle, and you can also review and rate the show on iTunes. We'd also like to recommend getting on board a fellow NRL podcast, Sports Best Friends, And a big shout out to Andrew Ferguson at the Rugby League Project. If you can support his work, that would be amazing. Uh, You can donate to his Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash RL Project. 
That's it for now, folks. Thank you very much, Xander, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Ball Boys. Thank you, strange Mongolian man in the corner who's touching himself that I've only just noticed exists now. So until next time, just do what the new rugby league team, the Fukushima Clusterfucks, would do and make it mandatory for players to possess a healthy fluorescent green glow. Goodbye for now.